Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash deathdyingpod. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is also brought to you by BarkBox.com. Get one free extra month of BarkBox at getbarkbox.com slash deathdyingpod. You're listening to the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Just a quick shout out to Daniel Smith and Daya Darko for supporting the show on Patreon. It means a lot. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash deathdyingonotherthings. Any little bit helps. Now, on to the show. I love old furniture. The look, the smell, the solid construction... And I love walking around thrift stores and antique shops and finding something that will fit just right in the corner of the room. Anywhere that smells of dust and mold and makes my allergies go haywire, I love to walk around perusing the piles of junk until I find something special. And then bringing the table or shelf or whatever it is home and finding out it doesn't quite fit how I thought it would. This month, On Death, Dying, and Other Things, a story about an antique cabinet. In A Cabinet, A Bone, and Two Pieces of String, a woman finds something in her new antique store find. Death and Dying. The thresholds between this world and the next. The boundary between light and dark. The barrier between worlds. And that's where we're going. We are going into the shadows to bring you stories of horror and heartbreak. From the Modern Horrors Podcast Network, this is Death, Dying, and Other Things. I'm Justin Buskey. Stay with us. back of the old antique shop off 32nd and Hazel, past piles of dusty glasses, past coffee tables no one will ever buy, past five or six paintings of Jesus depending on the day, past that suit of armor that is in every single antique shop in existence, was a six-foot wooden cabinet. Some would call it an armoire or a wardrobe or something like that. Handsome, if not ornate. Built solidly, It was the kind of thing that would have come in a set with seven other pieces. And although it was maybe the third most expensive thing in the store, it's something Winnie Shropshire had her eye on for a month before she finally walked in and bought it. She needed a place to put her clothes. Her closet was so small that if she used standard hangers, the door wouldn't slide shut. And those half-sized hangers, her clothes slid right off those. So she hemmed and hawed for a couple of weeks, and when it still hadn't sold, she took it as a sign, paid more money for a piece of furniture than she ever had in her life, and bought the cabinet. When the transaction was done, Winnie realized she had a problem. All the other furniture she had in her apartment came in cardboard boxes, 
She could carry them herself, or use a cart to get them to her car, and they fit in her trunk. She wasn't going to move this thing on her own, and it wasn't going to fit in her small sedan, even with the seats down. She noticed the cashier staring at her, and realized she had missed a statement, or a question, or perhaps just a farewell and thank you. I'm sorry, could you repeat that? Winnie asked. Would you like to bring your truck out back? He asked. We can have it out there for you to load. I don't have a truck, she said. No? The cashier said. It's a big piece. Yeah, I know, she said. I'll be right back. Winnie kicked a few loose pebbles down the sidewalk in front of the antique shop. The phone was ringing, which was a good thing. Her brother, Travis, usually turned his phone off while he was at work. When he finally picked up, her heart skipped. Oh, hell yeah. I didn't think you'd answer, she said, before Travis had even had a chance to say hello. He laughed and asked her why she was calling. I need a favor, she said through gritted teeth. What kind of favor, he asked. Nothing big, she said. Nothing big. I just bought a wardrobe, like an armoire, and I need your help getting it home. You're the only one I know with a truck. Okay, that's doable, he said. When do you need it? Um, now, she said. Winnie, I can't. I know, I know. I just bought it, and I gotta get it out now, she said. I didn't think about it, you know? All my shit's from Ikea. I don't usually have to deal with this. I'm at work, he said. I know, but I'll make it worth your while if you come down here, she said. He sighed. How? he asked. Six-pack, she asked. Three, he said. Two, Winnie countered. Done, Travis said. I'll be there in an hour. Thank you, Travis, thank you, she said. Don't mention it. See you soon. Winnie stood in her bedroom and took in the sight of the wardrobe. It's deep, warm wood. It's surprising elegance. It's heft. She was certain this was a piece of furniture she'd have for a very long time. She felt like an adult. She walked to the other side to get another angle on the thing. The sunlight filtering through the blinds hit the wooden surface of the armoire at just the right angles, and it seemed to ignite. The whole thing glowed with reflected sunlight. Winnie smiled, pleased. It really did elevate the whole room. She opened the doors of the cabinet and breathed in, reveling in that musty scent of old wood. She grabbed a stack of her clothes and set off to fill that wardrobe up. But then she saw, in the lower right-hand corner, near the back, a little spot she hadn't seen in the shop. A panel of wood, maybe four inches by four inches, that was just a little bit off compared to the rest. It didn't quite have the same finish. It wasn't lustrous, and in fact, the grain of the wood was different. Perhaps a different wood entirely. She sighed, slightly disappointed that the furniture she had purchased from an antique shop wasn't perfect. She bent down to run her hand across the area. 
She felt on the surrounding areas that smooth, finished wood give way to something altogether more rough within that unfinished square. And more than that, the square of imposter wood didn't quite fit. It rose just a few millimeters above the rest of the bottom shelf. Winnie huffed, ran her hand across it again, and then poked that square of light wood. It moved slightly in its spot, proving to Winnie that whatever reason this poor patch had for being there, it hadn't been installed remotely adequately. She dug a few fingernails into the fractional space around the patch of wood, wiggling it like a loose tooth. She withdrew her hand quickly when she felt a small jab and found a large splinter shoved underneath her fingernail. She shook her head, hurrying to the kitchen and returning with a butter knife, which she shimmied into that same sliver of space that had attacked her moments before. The blade of the butter knife just fit, and she pried that small square of light wood out of its place in the armoire. What Winnie found was a small four-inch square compartment, no more than two inches deep, and inside that small compartment she found a folded piece of yellowed paper and a small gray bone tied tightly on each end with two pieces of string. Winnie put the small parcel of bone and the folded piece of yellowed paper on her kitchen table. It made her think of curses and counter-curses, charms for good luck, and ritual objects left by witches. A strange thing to find, for sure, but she was also very intrigued by it. It increased her opinion of the wardrobe she had purchased, made it unique, raised its mystique, surrounded it in mystery. She sat down at the table in front of those two finds. Half of her wanted to leave them be, immediately go out and buy a case to display them in, but her curiosity got the better of her. She picked up the bone and two strings, raising it to her face to get a better look. She wasn't sure what kind of bone it was, chicken, turkey maybe. It was thin and four inches long, with two rounded ends. The strange thing, to Winnie, were the regular cracks, four of them that ran along the sides of the bone. They were straight, almost like the bone had been cut into quarters long ways, and, in fact, despite the tightness of the two pieces of string, those four long pieces of bone wiggled ever so slightly when Winnie pressed against them. She put the bone back on the table and picked up the folded paper, running her fingertips across the top. It was old, brittle, and thin. She wasn't sure she'd be able to unfold the thing in one piece, but she grabbed the corner and carefully, carefully, carefully parted the layers of paper. The quarter-folded paper fell open easily, those ancient folds giving any tension they had as Winnie flattened the paper against the table. It was covered in scrawling scratches. She couldn't read any of it, whether because it was in a language that wasn't English or because the handwriting was indecipherable. In a few places throughout the illegible screed, the text broke and a small symbol was drawn, a circle with a cross through the center of it, 
a symbol Winnie recognized as the astronomical symbol for Earth. She picked up the bone once more, turned it over in her hands, then grabbed the end of one of the strings and pulled. She did the same with the second string, and the bone, no longer held together by the two ties, clattered to the table in four long pieces. Along the inside of that bone parcel, where the marrow would be in a living bone, a fine black powder fell and dusted the table. It hit the surface in a pile, and some particles sprayed into the air like spores out of a puffball mushroom. They drifted up to Winnie's nose, and she inhaled them involuntarily, which sent her into a coughing fit. She stood up straight, and with each hack, her whole body was thrown over. After the eighth cough, she composed herself, getting her lungs under control, but was left with a splitting headache and a spinning equilibrium. Winnie had gathered the four lengths of bone, wrapped them in the yellowed paper, and placed them away from the kitchen table on a pile on her small writing desk. The black powder that sprinkled the table had left a dark black mark, like a burn in the wood, and Winnie scrubbed the table hard with soap and water in an attempt to scour the stain. She gave up fifteen minutes later, unable to lift even the slightest smudge, and accepted the blemish into her life. She shook her head and chuckled to herself, throwing the sponge back into the sink and soaking the soap and water up with a towel. She didn't know what she had expected to happen, but it sure wasn't just a mark on her table. What did she want to happen anyway? Something mysterious, something exciting maybe. Magic, she guessed, something magic. She was disappointed, but hardly surprised. Glancing at the time, she was shocked to find it was approaching four o'clock. The excitement of the day had certainly made that time fly, and now she had to rush to get ready for her date. She was meeting a guy her brother had set her up with a couple weeks prior. His name was Steve, and he was fun to be around, if a little boring. She told herself that boring was okay. She'd gone on too many dates with not-boring guys in the past. Dates that ended early because she wasn't willing to stick around for their nonsense. He was older than her by a couple of years, which was fine. He had a job, which was more than a lot of people could say. He'd been married before, which was unusual, because although he was older, he was still pretty young. He had good hygiene. He smelled good, clean, but not like soap. The thing Winnie liked most about him, though, was that he was funny. Really funny. He was an amateur comedian and pretty well-known in town. Winnie and Steve had seen each other five times in the last two weeks, which was certainly unusual for Winnie. They'd done the standard date things, the safe stuff like coffee and mini-golf and the boardwalk. She'd gone to see him perform. Tonight, Winnie was taking him to a rock-climbing gym and then bringing him back here to her apartment to cook dinner and then also have sex. Oh shit, oh shit, we're really high. Did I mention I'm afraid of heights? Steve said. Only constantly, Winnie said, laughing. And we're not that high. We're like eight feet up. This wall's only fifteen feet. Winnie looked over at Steve, sweating more than she'd ever seen someone sweat. 
half from exertion and half from terror. She'd have to get them into a shower together. Then she noticed his fingers, wrapped around the handholds so tight his knuckles were going white. Hey, Steve, you gotta loosen your grip a little, okay? If you don't, your hands are just gonna give out and you'll fall. Steve nodded, loosened his fingers, and immediately lost his grip. He screamed while he fell the eight feet to the soft cushions that lined the floor. Winnie laughed and jumped down after him. Steve was snoring gently before Winnie had even turned off the light. She stood, fingers on the light switch, watching the rising and falling of his chest under the sheet, and was glad he decided to stay. The gentle tick of the switch that extinguished the bedroom light was echoed in the living room by another click, soft but percussive enough that Winnie leaned out of the bedroom door to take a look. She narrowed her eyes, squinted to peer through the darkness, but all she could make out in the dark living room were muddy gray blobs, vague shapes she knew represented a couch, a coffee table, a houseplant. She chalked it up to some piece of furniture settling, or perhaps something outside the window, and was about to return to the bedroom when another click, followed rapidly by a second, pierced the darkness. She walked into the living room and turned on the lamp, looking around for an insect of some kind, maybe even a rodent, that could be making those ticks and clicks. She knew that if there was something like that in here, it would be a long shot for her to even see it, but if she didn't find the source of the sound, she'd never be able to fall asleep. Winnie was right. Her search turned up nothing. She scanned the walls and ceiling. She moved the curtains and looked under the couch cushions. She rummaged through the houseplant's leaves. Next, she removed the books from the bookshelf one at a time to look behind them, and halfway through the second shelf of books, two quick clicks again broke the silence. Human ears may not be as sensitive as some other animals, but in a silent apartment in the dead of the night, with heightened concentration, standing in the middle of the room, Winnie's ears finally triangulated that position. They came from her writing desk in the corner of the room. She was now sure of the source. She expected to find a large insect or spider or maybe even a mouse, but stopped in her tracks at what she did see. Several inches above that wooden surface, those four pieces of bone floated like the first four tallies before a fifth crosses off the set. Winnie watched them hang in the air like four fingers above the yellowed paper she had wrapped them in. She peered down at the paper and saw those scrawling marks, that illegible screed, was moving on its own. Each letter and symbol writhed and undulated on the paper. Then the quartered bone sprang to life, knocking together, this time creating a series of clicks that started to sound like a song. A wave washed over Winnie, invisible but powerful. She felt dizzy, then nauseous, then the overwhelming urge to puke within seconds. She ran to the kitchen sink, the closest acceptable receptacle for vomit, and retched until her entire dinner was evacuated from her guts. 
The fragments of bone in the nearby living room clicked and clacked out another set of tapped notes, and Winnie felt sick again. She ran to the bathroom, and her body attempted to empty itself of anything and everything inside of it. A half hour passed before Winnie felt well enough to move. She felt foul and had to take a shower in order to feel even a little bit better. Each time she breathed in, she felt her head swim, like she had drank far too much and now was battling just to remain conscious. She wrapped a towel around herself, the only dressing she could muster, and opened the bathroom door. As soon as Winnie had opened the bathroom door, the infernal bone clicked out another short tune. In the other room, the bedroom, in response to the bone's percussive melody, something clicked. Then there was a pause, and then a long, slow creaking, the sound of a door easing open, or a cabinet. Winnie stumbled into the bedroom and was struck by the smell. Steve had not escaped the effects of that hellish spell, but hadn't had the strength to move from the bed. She retched, but there was nothing left inside of her stomach to expel. Steve was unconscious, and Winnie could see that he was still breathing, but didn't have time to examine him much further before a hand, twice as large as a normal human hand, mottled purple and gray, and missing a finger, grabbed onto the edge of the cabinet and pulled a spindly, segmented body out of the darkness. This episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things was produced and edited by me, Justin Buskey. The story, A Cabinet, A Bone, and Two Pieces of String, was written by me too. You can follow me on Twitter, at Justin Buskey. Intro and outro music is by the prolific Eric Warnke. Check him out on SoundCloud. Special thanks to antique shops and old furniture. Death, Dying, and Other Things is a member of the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Check out all the other shows. They're so great. New episodes the first Thursday of every month. This has been Death, Dying, and Other Things, and I've been your host, Justin Buskey. Stay out of the shadows. <laughs>